everybody, and welcome to Mom Cooks Fast and Slow. I'm Alex Sullivan, and I'm delighted to have you at my kitchen table. Today, I have Chris DeMuth Jr. discussing a variety of topics with me. Chris is the founder of an event-driven hedge fund, Rangely Capital. He is an active member of the New Canaan community and most recently has become quite the CrossFit buff. What is so appealing about CrossFit to a man like Chris? In a time where many driving principles seem flipped upside down and all around, CrossFit is a community that values hard work, healthy competition, a commitment to nutrition, and a strong sense of community based on common interests. I really enjoyed this conversation with Chris about CrossFit and how some of the lessons learned can be applied to living our everyday lives. I hope you enjoy. Chris, welcome to Mom Cooks Fast and Slow. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you, Alex. You too. Um, I'm excited to have you on. We met kind of in the political sphere Mm -hmm. of New Canaan, but we were catching up the other day and both of us were lamenting about how community, you know, really nationwide has kind of fallen off. And we're both looking for pathways back to building back communities and and making it the the forefront for our kids and our families and and our towns. Um, And then we got to talking about CrossFit and how that has really become a community for you. Um, And it was very interesting, our conversation that we had, because as we were talking I was saying to myself, you know, this kind of the way you're describing CrossFit sounds kind of like the blueprint for how I instill values in my kids, how I approach community, how I approach, you know, working with people from all different walks of life. And so I thought it would be an interesting conversation for us to have about the CrossFit community, how you found yourself in that community. Um, you're now writing a Substack, uh, kind of about fitness and health. Um, and how all of these things mesh together and has become a big part of your life and um, important to you. So I thought we could start out with, you know, your bit of background about yourself, your path to finding CrossFit, and then we could get into the community of CrossFit and how that kind of translates to the rest of our lives. Sure. Um, this is all very new for me. So I spent my 20s and 30s really primarily focused on work. Uh I, um, uh, kind of in my mid forties, really after COVID, um, kind of joined a CrossFit gym where they were just getting rid of the kind of boxes representing where you're supposed to stand and masks and so forth. But, um, hopefully I won't get anybody into trouble to say they were on the lenient extreme of, uh, rule following. Um, uh, uh, hopefully you're allowed to say that now, Uh, but, um, Uh, there, uh, were people that I wanted to spend time with. They were doing something I wanted to do, but I really wanted to kind of throw myself back into the world. You know, I had been, um, uh, uh, sort of conscientiously thinking about, well, we have this certain amount of time by ourselves or in relative isolation, but, um, I wanted to kind of throw myself back into a community and this is the one. Um, that I found, but it's it's very recent and kind of new for me. And so I've kind of uh, approached it with the zeal of an evangelist. You know, I think about every morning at 4 a.m., I kind of nudge my wife and kind of ask her if she wants to come and do uh, heavy squats or whatever we're doing. And uh, she answers every morning. She hasn't come yet, um, but it's, it's so, so relatively new thing for me. 
Um, and just something that I've loved. I've, I, I've kind of a couple other activities I've gotten into uh, after work, but um, these are things where um, work's kind of settled enough that I can kind of do something else. And kind of a lot of the effort has been trying to figure out how to carve time and energy out of a big work commitment, a big family commitment, and then have kind of this third area of my life. But what struck you as, like, what was the pull towards CrossFit that really said, yes, this is the community that I want to be involved in? What was so attractive about it? Um, so I was in, um, I live in New Canaan, Connecticut, uh, kind of had a few furtive efforts uh, at other, like, n- not the right picks for me, uh, gyms. Uh, usually quiet, polite, clean, um, uh, you'd kind of get in trouble if you dropped a weight, which uh, at CrossFit, you know, like dropping bumper plates is like kind of ubiquitous. It's loud. It's kind of, uh, uh, there's a fun energy to it. Uh, and a friend of mine, uh, Katie uh, Ignuli, took me aside and said, I think you need to do something else. This isn't the, like, I needed to go to a uh, uh, kind of the next town over that's a little bit more blue collar a little, uh, you know, not a, not a rough neighborhood, but a rougher neighborhood, uh, kind of a back alley, uh, uh, you know, literally kind of a warehouse kind of space. And um, so it was a better space of very high energy kind of between kind of the, um, the music, kind of all kinds of people, the, the, the clock and the competitiveness that you were really like uh, uh, trying to do something hard together where even the techniques are hard, the standards are high, and there's some people who are just in unbelievable shape, you know, going to kind of very competitive elite levels all the way down to regular people like me. And, uh, um, so that was that was really um, that was really attractive. So I want to dig into a little bit more of this idea of healthy competition because, mm-hmm. you know, the way you describe that is so attractive to me in terms of there are people on all different levels, people that are way better than you, some people that may be less um, as as achievable as you are in CrossFit, and you're all competitive with your each other, but you're all competitive with yourselves, and that is something that I really find valuable in raising children and how I think they should approach school. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's a really important lesson for all of us to appreciate, to value, to learn. So can you talk about, I mean, like you said, you are with a bunch of people from all different walks of life that are on all different levels competing with each other. What does that look like in the CrossFit community? And how do you find that people actually thrive in those scenarios? Sure. So there's a phrase, and I don't know if this is specific to our gym. Some of these things might be commonplace across the CrossFit world, but they say um, uh, program for the best, scale for the rest. So that if you walked into our gym some morning and you were a uh, kind of Olympic level athlete, you would have a hard workout for you. Uh, If you are a regular person coming off the street and you're new to fitness, if you're disabled, if you're anybody, 100% 100% welcome and a scaling is the equivalent of that exercise that most gets at the idea of what that exercise is, is working towards that literally any human could do. Uh, any age, uh, any physique, any disability, anybody. Uh, and so it's meant for everybody, but 
not by lowering standards. There's this, there's the standard we call the RX, the prescription, and uh, and an RX workout is uh, hard. It's measured. Uh, instead of making competition and winning and losing this kind of dramatic, scary thing, it's ubiquitous. It's literally every day you win or lose, and in my case, probably lose, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, or like always lose to somebody, uh, and uh, and it's so constant, it becomes this kind of lighthearted, fun thing. And you usually have something you're working towards, either some technique that's new. So you get a muscle up for the first time, you get a double under for the first time, you get one of the more um, technical moves that for me takes months just to do one right. Uh, and another day you're going really heavy, another day you're going with a faster tempo. So you have some, some little sense of accomplishment, but for maybe a dozen people or a few dozen people, there is a really tangible reward. And they're the famous people. They might be on the podium this year. They might make some bucks. They might have a really big Insta following or something and monetizing this. But for like thousands and thousands of other people, including me, that's not in the cards. So it's kind of an infinity game. It's this game of like, okay, well, I have something I'm going to do. And if I do it right, it's really just a part of a bigger thing. You know, you get your handstand push-ups, cool, you're just getting ready for handstand walks. You get your, you know, pull-ups really good, cool, that's just a part of a muscle-up. So everything's kind of like something that's kind of fun, but because it's health and fitness and longevity as well as performance, at the mass level, I'm doing stuff that there's really no end to of any kind of particular import. Uh, and so the competition is just everywhere and, you know, everything is a race. I mean, we have one day a week that's a not for time workout, but for the most part, you have this big red clock, the music starts, you're with a lot of peers that you kind of want to be somewhere in the mix with. And so even if I'm not look at some guy and I'm not like, Oh, I'm going to beat him. I'm like, well, I'm not that much worse than he is. I'm going to try to be within, you know, a little kind of within, you know, I want to be respectable. I want it to be okay. Uh, and then, you know, the coaches um, uh, you look up to and you want to do well for them. Uh, but the clock starts and, you know, I have a heart rate monitor on my watch and I realize that my heart rate starts pounding just when the like countdown for the 10 seconds, you know, this big, you know, but they have every emotional cue you can imagine between loud music, a big red clock up front, uh, all of the kind of, things that get you going psychologically to be your best. And even to the point where today was really one of the two mornings I ever think I went beyond what was like healthy, safe, like felt really good. Like you get to the point where it's like your heart rate is just pounding so hard. You're, you know, you're, you know, you can taste the, like your lungs bleeding. Uh, you can, you know, uh, you, you can really, the potential to push yourself too far. I mean, the kind of rhabdo is kind of like the CrossFit, like cliche, like going too hard in a workout. Uh, uh, like it's the like official disease of CrossFit, but you have these things that you can do too much and you realize, oh, I went over the line maybe one or two days over the past year. I've kind of been really doing this intensively for a year now. And then you realize, so when I say I'm at a hundred percent, like I'm really at like 60% because I've been at a hundred and five percent twice mm -hmm. and then i'm like oh so i'm kind of slacking like all the rest of my life <laughs> only you would think that way chris <laughs> but do you think that 
are the coaches the ones that foster that feeling? Is it just the people that are attracted to CrossFit are all um, competitive in nature? Like, where do you think that um, healthy competition and pushing yourself and not holding it against others if they're better than you, where do you think that those feelings come from or are fostered from? I think it's the people that are attracted to it. I actually, it's interesting. Um, there is none of the shoutiness that you associate with like high school coaches of a sport that you don't really want to do where they're like, you know, punitively telling people to run or kind of, kind of badgering people. I mean, there's literally none of that. And I actually uh, read a comment that the CrossFit founder originally had made that actually specifically talked to that. That's like a really intrinsic part of CrossFit culture that they're attracting people and really only want people who so want to be there that if anything, they'd have to hold them back to pace themselves, that they wouldn't have to like motivate or encourage because these are self-motivated people who are encouraged to be there because they want to be better. So I think it's mostly the people who are there. And one of the things that I find so uplifting and so fun about it and almost opposite everything you hear in our broader culture, certainly in our political context, in social media, in our kind of national conversation, is it is literally every kind of person you could imagine. I mean, you could, you know, you know, every conceivable, not just, not just race, but race and socioeconomic and uh, orientation and just every kind of person, but they show up trying to do something hard together and get better. And you realize how much our, what we have in common is more important and more, and more, vivid than what separates us and what separates us ends up being a kind of either benignly ignored or a topic of kind of occasional humor or levity, but not this kind of weighty thing. And in this terrible way in politics, I find that we always kind of have the solemn, we should have a conversation about invariably our differences. And I think, should we though? Because it feels like 90% of the time we're talking about it and the other 10% of the time we're talking about talking about it and it just pisses people off more and more. Whereas people coming together who have the commonality of, we got to get this in around work. I mean, it's almost always people who are working in some respect. And it's almost always people who have families that they care about in some respect. And you realize people who are trying to provide for their families and raise their kids and be stronger and healthier and better versions of themselves for the example that they want to be like that's really powerful and the differences are kind of don't matter as much and that just seems to be so much better in terms of authentic connections where you say oh these are people who for better or for worse really know who you are i mean there is not a lot left to the imagination in terms of what you're wearing how you're performing you get so broken you know people really see how strong you are and what you can do and what you can't psychologically mentally physically uh you're early in the morning is a like you're not a mystery to these people and then you realize oh i'm still okay, like the people who know me best still tolerate me is a really incredible thing. And having that mutual uh, is really important. And so this, this kind of analog, in-person, authentic relationship 
is so wonderful and it's kind of easy and the things that people in the political context and national context make seem impossible i think are sort of self-defeating in their weightiness in their fixating on superficialities and on the kind of trying to make things um the subject that is almost better just ignoring and moving on yeah i i mean that's what i love i mean when you speak about it that's what i love about hearing it so much is because that's how i think about community and think about, you know, it should be just this, we're all raising our kids and want the best for our future. And one day it'd be awesome if my kid went to Mars. Like that mm-hmm. sounds cool. That sounds awesome. The rest of it sounds dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, in, in that a similar vein, part of this and, and part of what um, kind of the national conversation is too is about diet and health and sleep and how important things like that are to being able to do those things that make us happy. You know, I'm not going to be a person that wakes up at four o'clock in the morning to go lift weights, <laughs> but there are things that make me get out of the bed and want to strive to be my best self every day. And I can't do that without a good diet, a good health, and a, a good night's sleep. I, I'm a person that definitely needs her sleep. So um, I know this is something that you write about on your Substack a lot. Um, and so I wanted to kind of dive into, you know, your thoughts on all, all three of those, those three yeah. kind of pillars. So all of this takes long and I'm impatient. I want tangible metrics. I love measurements. I'm kind of borderline obsessive about every kind of health measurement you can think of. And if you start at the end and work back, what I want to be able to do, my big goal is when there's somebody I like who's doing something cool, I want to be able to just reflexively say yes and do it. And that's my kind of goal with where I want my work to be, where I want my family to be, where I want my fitness to be. Um, I was on a trail run with a friend of mine last year and I said, hey, um, do you want to hike a Kilimanjaro? And she goes, yes. And the other people we were running with laughed and said, well, you're going to talk about it. And I said, oh, we just did. We're going to, we're going to go. And we, we didn't, we didn't say another word. And then we flew over to Tanzania. We hiked up Kilimanjaro and, uh, and, and we were completely serious and, uh, they kind of conflate. And I said, that's exactly the conversation that I want to be able to have about, um, you know, my next couple ultra marathons, my next couple lifting goals, my next couple mountain, uh, kind of big mountain expeditions. I just want to pick the people, pick the date, pick the goal and just be able to do it. And that requires a lot of training. And so the training is like, if somebody gives me two years and says, what should we do? It's like, okay, here's how to get stronger. Here's what we're going to do in the gym. But if you have two weeks, it actually you're not going to make that much progress, but you can make a ton of progress with nutrition. Uh, nutrition, really, you can feel a lot better. And one of the things I've thought a lot about is instead of trying to make this this battle between short term and long term, because it's not that vivid, and especially with kids, they like the short term. This is delicious. This is fun. <laughs> is is as I think of it as like, well, hedonism, what makes you feel good, but at least measured over the next 24 hours, not in the next you know hour. Because a lot of things that even just selfishly make you feel great is the really healthy, good food. Uh, and so I think that uh, nutrition is really, really important. I've gotten to the point, and I'm sort of extreme, like once I kind of enter into a project, I do better just making it very rules-based than trying to be moderate. So I do better with like no refined sugar than moderating that, no alcohol than moderating that. Um, I prepare all my own food now, which I enjoy doing. And I just think there's 
there's a huge amount in food prep that I feel a lot of like, including like single dudes who only eat out could really get out of health. I mean, my, my wife's a terrific cook and has always loved it as a topic. And it's a totally new topic for me within this past year. But I mean, cooking is warming meat until it's warm. Like it's not like you can like get a great steak. And even if you don't have a huge amount of money, if you take it out of your entertainment and alcohol budget, you know, if you take out of like, oh, I could have gone to Vegas and bought all these, you know, bottle service and say, okay, that's zero. You can get any kind of fish you want from a fishmonger. You can get any kind of steak you want from a butcher for less money than that. And uh, um, just really good produce and protein is just not that expensive. And uh, so I, um, you know, I, I order, I get from different sources, but I kind of, you know, get big boxes of dry ice from all kinds of, you know, I get this axideer that I like from Hawaii. I get a bunch of bison and elk from, uh, from Wyoming and do all my prep myself. But for the next few weeks, you want to feel better. Like nutrition is such a faster way to really feel tangible improvements. You know, people say, uh, you know, you, you know, abs are made in the kitchen, not the gym. There's a lot <laughs> you can do from cooking. Um, it's fun. Um, and as I've kind of cracked down on my pretty specific diet goals, um, my kids have all gotten into cooking because they realize it's the one thing I'll let them do because they'll make themselves, they'll bake and they'll make themselves desserts because <laughs> they realize I let them do that, even though I won't buy like processed desserts and stuff. So they've all kind of gotten into it, uh, which has been fun to see. Um, and then if you want to feel better in the next couple hours, take a nap. I mean, I, I, I went through every conceivable recovery gimmick in this past year. I mean, just every, everything and was doing all this cryotherapy and doing, um, you know, every kind of massage, some of which, some of which is like better than nothing, but for the most part, nothing works. Just get some sleep. And, uh, so I think in terms of scheduling, you know, a nine hour sleep opportunity window. So you can really, really sleep eight hours each day. If you're lifting heavy, if you're running, you know, getting a lot of miles and you almost have to, to be able to recover. If you're really not taking full recovery days, which I don't, uh, you got to sleep a lot. So if you wake up at four, you're in bed by eight. I, I go to bed at six 30, fall asleep oh at 7 30. Yeah, so, so I'm, uh, my kids love this routine because I'm by far the first person to go to bed. So, like, I kind of have vaguely parental admonitions at about 6 or 6 30, and they're like, sure, old man, dude, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I'm like, uh, don't, um, uh, don't stay up all night. They're like, oh, sure. Okay. Sure. Okay, yeah. dad. Yeah. Uh, like you have no, you have absolutely no credibility whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, so I, I mean, I find an hour to kind of, uh, I fire myself for making any important decisions or any communication that's like, in, like I, I try to really front load my day. So like the, you know, um, and, and one thing that was useful is uh, my doctor, um, was kind of looking at how I best focus and realistic expectations for intensive work when you have important decisions to make, especially things where you could actually like really screw things up. So it matters to be at hundred percent. And his standard is really four hours a day of intensive work. And each of those hours have a 10 minute break. So 10 minutes outside moving around 50 minutes. But I mean, this is serious focus. This isn't like making sure nobody's wrong on the internet while you're doing it, like four serious hours and then four more hours of lesser. So I'm trying to pack my work day into eight hours as much as possible. 
and then kind of unwind a little bit after the market closes after four and then done at 6.30, asleep at 7.30, awake 3.30, seven days a week. And seven days a week really helps too because I, I set an alarm that I always can reach for it and turn it off like a minute before it goes off. So it's like I have the same kind of like biological rhythm and then five days a week it's CrossFit first and two days a week it's trail running first. So how do you you know, that's a pretty intense schedule. How do you manage the, this, I mean, it seems like more of a hobby to you. It's now like a way of life. Um, and having that time that I know is super important to you with your family. So the, the two things that really made a difference to me is one, there was a while that I kind of would backlog things that I knew weren't going to go anywhere with work where somebody would call and say, Hey, can you call, call back after four The market's still open? I need to kind of think about other things. And once I got into fitness this past year, I stopped doing that. I said, somebody called and said, Hey, we're just not going to do business. This is not going to go anywhere. And it's not going to like serve your needs any more than mine. Could you just like leave that as my actual answer? And I'm not going to kind of drag this. Cause I realized I, I knew the things that I would drag on for a few weeks. Like mm-hmm. you know, there was some kind of applicant, some kind of the, and, and so I just got much more decisive about saying no. And then with kids, I think that there's this kind of martyr complex, more common with moms than dads, but at least to some extent where somebody likes the identity of being self-sacrificial and saying, Hey, I'm always going to be there for my kids. Well, I am not always there for my kids. Sometimes I'm on a date with their mom and they're not coming. And sometimes I'm, I mean, I'm always there for my kids in an emergency. Uh, and I do a lot with them. My daughter and I rock climb together. My son, one son runs with me. Another does CrossFit, uh, with me. Um, so I do a lot, but we, um, we do things that are important for both of us together and probably controversially, I don't spectate. I don't spend a lot of time where I'm spending my hour to watching them do something important for them. We do things together that really, for me, I've found a way since I had, since they were babies, but increasingly with, um, fitness where we have some way to do it together. So, um, 5 AM Sunday morning, I had hill repeats to do. So I had this one hill and I thought this is a perfect kid activity because unlike a trail run where I could be like 10 or 20 miles from the car by the time it's time to turn around, that's kind of a problem if you have a kid and you say, hey, I'm done. It's like, uh, you're not done. We gotta get home somehow. We don't live in the woods here. But I'm like, oh, this is great because this is just, you know, you're only gonna be half a mile from the car doing these repeats. Um, but I have a weight vest and I have a rucksack, so I can always add, you know, 20 pounds up to 80 pounds and I can go with a kid and do something that's like hard and cool for them and something that's hard and cool for me. And, uh, so we can go out in the woods and do something. And then by the time I'm done, like I got my morning in, we go out to breakfast together and we're kind of like regaling each other with stories of like how hard it was for both. Like we did a real thing together. This wasn't just me babysitting my kids. Um, but, uh, you know, I wore, you know, I wore my vest and with, with enough weight, we could kind of equalize and make it an activity together. And it was awesome for the kid too, because one of the things we do before an ultra is we get the exact food that we're going to eat on the course. So in this case, um, I'm going to be racing in Eiger, uh, in uh, Grindelwald, uh, Switzerland, a lot of vert, and you need to be careful about, you know, you're running all day you need to be careful about food so we got all the food from so we had all these like like 
caramel waffles and all these different things. And so he was sitting there just like gorging on all of our uh, food for this. Uh, but um, uh, so, so I really try to find the activities that we can all do that's like the real stuff, not just like me watch. And, and maybe, I mean, it's controversial. I mean, I'd say almost all New Canaan dads, to the extent they're doing stuff with their kids, are like watching them do something. And for me, I think that it's really important for everybody to get to do the thing that's like living their life and running their race and doing it in a way that avoids the potential for resentment where you say like, hey, I helped you live your life instead of this other thing that I was going to do. Um, we kind of try to find things that really have a lot of value for time together, but also in the like activities that we're really trying to uh, progress on. I do love that. I, you know, I'm, I do like, I enjoy my kids so much more when we are doing stuff together. I, my kid, I cook every night. My kids help me cook every night. It's something we do together. They are, they are part of the process. Um, and I do feel like a lot a lot of the lamenting of parents that, oh, I got to like deal with my kids or whatever. Not in, I mean, we all love our children. We're all, you know, obviously. Um, but it it feels like quote unquote childcare. But like what you're saying, if you are including them in whatever you're doing, it's not childcare. It's spending time with your kids. It's making memories. It's doing things that you enjoy and what your family enjoys, which is you know, I, I don't know if my kids are doing what your kids are doing, but your kids are enjoying it. That's important. That's part of your family tradition and how you guys are building memories. And same, same for me. We all have different ways of doing it, and that's okay. And that that should be part of our own community building too. Is every family is going to look a little different in how we do family, but as long as we're doing it with our kids and they feel loved, then whatever way that is, is, is great. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I like to hear all kind of different ways people bond with their kids because it's fun. It's interesting. Um, so it's kind of speaking towards our kids, are there values and lessons that, I mean, you, you run a hedge fund. So, um, the competitive kind of nature has probably always been in you. Um, but are there values and lessons that you've learned through CrossFit that you didn't, learn beforehand and are, are some of those values that you would like to pass on to your kids? You know, how, how does that look? Uh, mistakes and weakness is just a constant and cheerful, unavoidable part of my life. You know, if I look at the, with work, if I look at the kind of gross, not on a net basis, hopefully, you know, my winners kind of pay for my losers and then leave a little uh, at the end of the day. But on a gross basis, you know, the things that I've done wrong, you know, if you say, you know, uh, it, it's a pretty good antidote to perfectionism that I say, like, I did this thing. It was 100% my fault and it was a disaster. And you could have a good year or even a spectacular year where one or two days a week, you have real mistakes that you made. And so, uh, getting away from perfectionism and the anxiety associated with being performative, you know, it is such a lost cause for me. I mean, the imperfections are so glaring with work, uh, but with CrossFit, I'd say it's even more tangible. I mean, the literal weakness, just the being, you know, totally spent so you can't stand up at something you're trying to do. Because I think a lot of the kind of 
culture around being um, sarcastic or being dismissive, like, oh, well, that wasn't that good, but I wasn't really trying. Well, I am really trying. <laughs> I really care. There's no excuse. This is me at my best and it sucks sometime and it is way less good than I want to do, way less good than some dudes within like arm's reach are doing. So it's like, say, oh, it's not possible. Well, apparently it's possible because there's other people right there that are doing it. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, that uh, humility, that kind of just total destruction of ego uh, and the fun of doing hard things and the fun of doing hard things together. And uh, so I think that that kind of um, is, 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 I mean, it's a cliche. It's like, it's one of the truest cliches, but this is, hey, oh, they copy what you do, not what you say. But I mean, in this case, they really do. Um, and it just becomes to the point where when you're talking about your own failures, you, you might as well be talking about somebody else. It's not an emotional thing. It's not a big deal. Um, and our ability to communicate in ways where when there's something that's gone off course, we can fix it because we're just looking at it. I mean, kind of one of the things, uh, this is such a dad comment, but I say, <laughs> you know, um, big problems are just small problems that you don't confront head on and fix. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the small problems that they say, like, look, this was just, that, that wasn't good. We have to fix it. But we can do that in five minutes from now, it's going to be over. Um, I think that we have a kind of more honest relationship and a more direct one, the more that we've seen those super tangible weaknesses and failures revealed in just the starkest possible ways. I love that. That's great. Um, all right. So before I ask my last question of the episode, um, if people want to read your Substack, want to read about, uh, you know, where, where can we find that? So, um, Substack, uh, Valley Tudo, uh, uh, V A L E uh, T U D O. It's it roughly Portuguese. Uh, anything goes. So it's kind of uh, the origin of this, and it's a year old. Uh, this uh, this month uh, was. I kept wanting to talk about health and fitness things amongst some of my investors, colleagues, people in the professional kind of finance world that did not care about this. <laughs> so I just needed to have something that was separate. So I wasn't working into investor letters or whatever, uh, this stuff. So this was just stuff that I care about. So this is uh, CrossFit. It's a little bit of uh, jujitsu and Muay Thai and trail running adventures, different stuff. Um, but it is, um, uh, uh, kind of my struggles with these different things, very much from the perspective of trying to write to peers that similarly are trying to balance kind of the chaos of work and family and fitness, and also the process of trying to be thoughtful about kind of, age, I'm in my mid forties and thinking about, I so love little kid stuff. I want a big part of my life being able to do stuff with my grandkids and great grandkids, you know, I want to be able to take my great grandkids, you know, helicopter skiing for a month. Well, I got to save up some money. I got to make sure I have a lot of flexibility with my time and I have to take care of my joints and be fit enough that when, you know, I'm a hundred, I can say, Hey, you know, do any of the, you know, do any of the great grandkids want to go hop in a helicopter and go skiing in Alaska for a month? Uh, and, um, that kind of starting at the end and working back, that's where I want to end up. And so the longevity and uh, for me, my observation was there are people who are on the, especially like in the world of general practitioners, you can find somebody who just wants to max, be a safety maximalist and say, hey, you could be a chemistry experiment in a nursing home for a decade if you eat this uh, uh, kale. And I say, that's not really my goal. Like I, um, uh, I don't want 
to see how long I can live in a nursing home. I want to see how many years I can ice climb for. And mountains are consequential. There are things that are risks, but they're risks that I want to take to have as much kind of vigorous lifespan as possible with my family doing cool stuff with people who uh, tolerate me. And um, and so this was kind of writing about that. So this past year, Substack, Valley Tudo, check it out if you're interested. Awesome. Well, you'll definitely be the coolest great grand granddad all around if that comes to fruition. So I, I hope to see you one day. Um, all right. So to Thanks. end the interview, um, sure. this is the same question I ask everyone at the end of every episode. What is your favorite family tradition and why? Favorite family tradition, um, going up to Maine, there's the kind of South shore of Rangeley Lake. Uh, my, my hedge fund's Rangeley Capital named after this lake. Um, and it is now my kids are kind of fourth generation up there. Um, and it is, um, kind of the mountains of Western Maine and they have a little mini version of all the stuff that I like. So I kind of spent endless hours researching and in some cases, getting something that only the people at the companies made for themselves, like a mini version of like a little kayak and a little um, bow and arrow set and uh, a little 22 rifle and a little like all, all, the, all these things that they at young ages could uh, kind of do all of the kind of outdoorsy stuff that I loved um, on this uh, wonderful lake uh, in Maine. And so we do that really as much as possible. I mean, we, we say summers, but whenever we're out of school, if there's not another specific commitment, we're there as much as possible. Um, and it's just a lovely piece of Americana. Um, it's a very small town. And one of the things that was vivid to me when I was a kid that I think my kids have picked up on is we're doing all sorts of adventures in a place where the nearest uh, emergency responders, like 45 minutes away, an hour away in the summertime, in the wintertime, if there's a blizzard, they might be you know, yeah. a week away, the roads could be closed. So you have to look at each other and say, hey, we have to take care of each other. And I don't mean this in a, you might hurt your feelings way. Like, <laughs> we have to take care of each other. And I remember when I was a little kid that that was so important to me that I was like, I had this role where I could actually had, we had to help each other. And as a family, I just love that. And I love that my kids love it now. And um, so, yeah, so Maine each summer uh, kind of time in the lake, uh, uh, you know, long distance swims and cold water and, uh, kind of messing around in the woods, messing around, uh, in the boats. Well, that sounds awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. This was an awesome conversation and I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Alex. It's been great talking with you.